Our scripture lesson today comes from 1 Thessalonians, Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. Let's share in God's good word together. So when we couldn't stand being separated from you any longer and could find no way to visit you ourselves, we stayed in Athens and sent Timothy to get you up and about, cheering you on so you wouldn't be discouraged by these hard times. Not that the trouble should come as any surprise to you. You've always known that we're in for this kind of thing. It's part of our calling. That's why I couldn't quit worrying. I had to know for myself how you were doing in the faith. I didn't want the tempter getting to you and tearing down everything we had built up together. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Scripture calls us to be light in the darkness. To let our light shine. In the first words written in our New Testament, Paul called a small group of new Christians to be children of the light. 2,000 years later, the first letter to the Thessalonians still offers powerful guidance for us today as we live as people of the light. People of the light. Jesus says, You are the light of the world. And so we're going to dig into this letter that Paul writes to help us understand what exactly that means. So we're in our second week of our sermon series, People of the Light. And last week we set up the context for the whole letter. And I want to catch you up if you weren't with us last week or just remember together uh, where we've been. So, as context, with the People of Light, let me share this with you. Paul travels from Antioch to Thessalonica and starts a church there over three weeks to three months, maybe even as long as four months. But what we know is it's not a long time. And so the scriptures say that Paul taught at least three Sabbath days. And so some scholars think he was just there three weeks and others have him up there um, in Thessalonica all the way three to four months. And so on the map, you'll see here um, that Antioch's right here. Jerusalem is going to be down here in Israel. And so he's moved up to Antioch. He's going to go all the way over to Turkey to Ephesus, which is modern-day Selchuk in Turkey. And then the gospel is going to go for the first time into Europe to Philippi and then to Thessalonica. Thessalonica is about 90 miles southwest of Philippi. And then, um, basically, Paul's going to get run out of town. He goes to Jason's house. There's a big riot and a mob, and so they secretly send Paul off in the night. And so from Thessalonica here, he, he makes his way by land to Berea, and then he catches a ship, and he comes down here to Greece. And he's down here in Athens and Corinth, also known as the region of Achaia. Thessalonica is the capital city of the region known as Macedonia. Both Philippi and Thessalonica are in the region of Macedonia. And so the context of this letter is Paul couldn't go back to Thessalonica because they would probably kill him. And so since he couldn't return, he sends Timothy to encourage the new church there. He was very worried about them. So the letter is addressed to new faithful Gentile believers, new believers facing criticism and harassment. And Paul, you know, going under the cover of night to escape, knows that the people there are in hardship. Uh, Scholars are not all in agreement about whether that was hardship um, from the Romans and the Gentiles in the area or whether that was from the Jews of the area or from both. But in any case, we know it was hard living to be new people of this new faith known as Christianity. So last week, we also learned 
that it's not just back then that everyone is criticized. Will you say that with me? Everyone is criticized. And how we respond, it reveals our character. And it's what counts. It is what counts, friends. We can't control what other people do, but we can control how we respond. And so we want to make sure that love and light and joy are in us so that when the world squeezes us, those are the things that comes out. And so the early church responded to criticism with joy in spite of great suffering. And so people would criticize them and harass them, and they found it as joy because they knew that their lives were an example of what it could be. They weren't like they used to be, and people around them didn't like that. And so they're like, yes, we're doing it right. They're actually noticing our new way of life. And so Paul writes it this way in chapter 1. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of persecution, you received the word with joy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia, that area um, where we find Corinth and Athens. And so what we find is that we are to answer critique with facts, not attacks. That's what Paul did. That's what we can do. When somebody critiques us, we simply respond in the truth. And so when you get a critique, we learned last week that what we can do is we can ask God, well, God, what can I learn from this? What part of this is true? It may not all be true, but probably there's a little nugget of truth in there somewhere, and we need to be aware of how our words and our actions affect others. And so as our challenge for last week, Uh, As a church together, uh, we committed not to say anything critical, really, nothing critical all week. And we weren't going to hurl judgments all week. How'd you do? I hope you're doing well. And if if you didn't do so well, let's try again. And and we're going to dare to show up and actually let our light shine. We're going to do the right things for the right reasons and do what God calls us to do. And, And we'll leave the results to God. And we have to do this, friends, because as Albert Hubbard said it. He says, the only way to avoid criticism is to do nothing, to say nothing, and to be nothing. And friends, you know this in your heart. You're not nothing. You are something, something good. You are the people of the light. So this week, we're going to move forward in what faithfulness looks like. How do we live this out as the people of light? Paul writes this, We sent Timothy, our brother and co-worker for God in proclaiming the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you for the sake of your faith so that no one would be shaken by these persecutions. It was a hard time. And what we're supposed to find and what was in the footnote of my study Bible was this, that persecutions are normal, not exceptional. Now, you may not experience much persecution and you are super fortunate, but make no mistake, there are Christians all around the world every day that are persecuted for their faith. Persecutions are normal, and we need to know that. They're not exceptional. And what Paul is doing, Paul is celebrating the new Christian's faith and love. He's so proud of them. Timothy has given him a good report, and he wants to encourage them and let them know how proud uh, and, and just how great he thinks they are. So the letter says this, but Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love. That's what it's all about, friends, faith and love. Now, when we talk about faith, um, we have lots of different ideas. Um, But the way Paul uses it here, being faithful is being steadfast. It's being obedient. It's being trustworthy. And, of course, it's being full of faith. Faithful, full of faith. That's what we're looking for in the Christian life. And so Paul is calling the, the Thessalonians and us, calling us to faithfulness, to be full of faith, to be steadfast, 
to do the right things at the right time for the right reasons in all areas of our lives. And, and it's in this last part, in all areas of our lives, that we struggle. Because it's really easy to try to compartmentalize your religion or your faith and say, well, when I'm with my friends or when I'm at church, I act this way. Uh, but in business, you know, you really have to do it that way. Um, or, you know, with my children and my wife or my husband, you know, I'm going to try to live my faith out this way. Um, but when I'm on a business trip, I live that way because that's the way you get ahead. And Paul says, no. No, this is our whole life. We need to be faithful and full of faith and obedient to God's word in all areas of our life. So in chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, urging and encouraging you and pleading that you lead a life worthy of God, all of it. Lead a life worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So here's a really important question for us, friends. Is the life you live worthy of the God who gave it to you? Is the life you live worthy of the God we serve? And so Paul first starts to talk about what it looks like to be faithful in community. The first thing he does is that he prays for the new believers to love one another as Jesus commanded. That's Jesus' command. This is a new commandment that I give you, Jesus says, that you love one another. In chapter 3, Paul picks up this idea and he says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we abound in love for you. You're seeing the theme here. And may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. In Paul's day, they thought Jesus was coming back on Tuesday. Not someday, but like next week. And so Paul is really concerned about our hearts. Um, and Rick Warren puts it this way. I think it's beautiful. He says, true spirituality, true spiritual maturity is all about learning to love like Jesus. That's exactly right. It's not how many scriptures you know. It's not how many years you've taught Sunday school. It's not if you can win an argument. It's about if you've learned to love like Jesus. And so in the Bible, when we, we hear this word heart, it doesn't mean romance. It doesn't mean the organ right under your chest. It, it's really used in this way. It's, it's the controlling center of your personality. It's your will. It's your picker. It's your soul. So heart, as used in this letter and in most places in the Bible, it's not an organ or romance, but the controlling center of personality. So when we think of faithfulness, we think of it often in the context of marriage. Will you be faithful as long as you both shall live? Uh, it's a part of the wedding vow. And so when we think of unfaithfulness, oftentimes we think when a marriage has really gone south. And friends, by the time an affair happens or adultery happens, the marriage covenant has been broken time and time and time again. The, the vows of trust and of love and of care and in being there for one another and so we need to make sure that we don't dumb down or reduce this idea of faithfulness simply uh, to someone's sexual life. It includes our whole life. And I want to share with you a few people um, that I just think are awesome, that they're some of the most faithful people I've ever met in my life. Um, last Sunday after church, uh, Chantel and I were on our way home um, from the church, and we passed by um, uh, Reverend Pong Lau's home. Uh, Pong is the minister here in town of the Edmund Chinese International Church. Um, and Pong was here even before I moved here in 1999. He's a church planter, and he has planted many churches, uh, both here uh, and around the world. And we love Pong and his family. And as we drove by his house, we just live a few houses down from him and his family. Um, they had a sign. And their daughter, Jessica, here 
just graduated from Harvard. How about that? Graduated from Harvard. I think she's the first person, uh, actually second person I know who graduated from Harvard. And it was just a, a great thing. And I thought, you know, it would be great if Chantel baked them my favorite cake maybe I can steal a piece and we can bless them and really celebrate. I mean, graduating from Harvard, are you kidding me? That's a big deal. And so Sunday night, we walked down and we had this beautiful, warm cherry chocolate cake with the icing just all over. Oh, it was awesome. And I, and I got up to the door and of course, um, Mrs. Lau was at the front porch talking with one of their congregants, Grace. And, and I was about to start a conversation with her and she said, oh, Pong is in a prayer meeting with his brothers, uh, which I think are all around the world on Zoom in a prayer meeting. And I'm like, yep, that's Pong. That's what he does. He is a prayer warrior. He is a person of faith and he is faithful in everything I've ever known him to do. And so she said, well, can I, can I just take this and give you your plate back? And I said, like, no, 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 we don't, we don't need the plate. Um, you know, you just keep it anytime. And I, I felt really great about that. And so then the, the next night, um, Chantel and I were walking out in the garage and we see these legs as we're raising the garage. I'm like, who was coming up in our driveway? It was Pong. Less than 24 hours after we had given them a cake to celebrate Jessica's and their family's great accomplishment, they had brought us a cake. They had already received the cake, written a thank you note on their family stationery, and created for us a special Asian cake blessing. And we, I was just blown away. I'm like, you cannot out-faith Pong. You cannot out-love Pong. You cannot out-bless and honor that family because that's just who they are. If you ever get the chance to, to meet Pong, I hope you will, and his family. They are amazing, wonderful, faithful uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. The other person I want to share with you um, is a woman named Rosemarie. When I was a little boy and I was about three or four years, eight, three or four years of age, um, I got a red tricycle, a little radio flyer, and uh, it was red, and I loved it, and we'd ride it around. What I didn't know until just a few years ago is that red tricycle was given to my family. It was a hand-me-down from Rosemarie. Rosemarie was a pastor's wife and then a district superintendent's wife, and she kind of looked over and took care of my mom all the way through ministry as we would move from town to time, town to town, Rosemarie would always kind of check on our family. Uh, now, Rosemarie lives down the hall from my mom um, at their retirement community. Uh, she's about mm, seven or so years older than my mom. And so when I call mom, I'll say, well, what are you doing? She says, well, Rosemarie and I are about to go to dinner. Or I'll say, well, what, what you, or, and then, then Rosemarie and I are going to do this, or Rosemarie are going to do that. And many of you know that my father hasn't been in good health these days. And you know the person that I can count on and I trust so much? Rosemarie. Because she's there helping take care of my mom uh, when my sister and I can't be. She is a beautiful soul. And she's been taking care of my mom and my family for more than 50 years. More than 50 years. Eugene Peterson has a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That describes Rosemarie very well. A long obedience in the same direction. And he writes this in his book. He says, And yet I decide every day to set aside what I can do best and attempt what I do very clumsily, open myself to the frustrations and failures of loving, daring to believe that failing in love is better than succeeding in pride. 
That's exactly right, friends. Failing in love is better than succeeding in pride. And I'm so grateful to be associated with people like Pong and Rosemary who simply love well. They love well. There's no pride in them at all that I've ever seen. They are just lovers of people's souls. Great people in this life. So they live this out well. And this is Paul's admonition that we are to please God, not impress others. We're to please God and not impress others. We can't worry about what other people think and please God at the same time. So one final word, friends, Paul writes. We ask you, urge is more like it, that you keep on doing what we told you to do, and that is to please God. So when it comes to our faith life, we have three choices. We can please me, right? Not you please me, but you please, right? So you can be a person who pleases me, your own self, or you can be a person who pleases others. You can be a person who pleases we, or you can be a person who pleases God. But you got to choose. Me, we, or God. you got to choose. So again, Paul says this, urging and encouraging you and pleading that you lead a life worthy of God. Please God. Please God. That is what our life is about, to honor and bring glory to God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Our founder, John Wesley, in the Methodist movement, he says this, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw, whether they be clergymen or laymen. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. Live for God. Live full out for God. Not halfway, not most way, full out for God. Please God, not self, not others, but God. And I want you to think about this, pray about this, dream about this. What would happen if all of us at Acts 2 live lives worthy of God? We have more than 700 people worship with us regularly pre-COVID. And we think we've got about that same amount now uh, online and in person together. And imagine if John Wesley is convinced that 100 people sold out for God, what if we had 700 people sold out for God? Imagine what could happen in Edmund and around the world, in your life, in the lives of our neighbors and our friends, if we were sold out to please God, if we put God first in all things, not just some things. So we live for God and we love others because God first loved us. That's what Jesus did. We love because he first loved us. That's what the scripture says. And if you think about it, if you think about the cross, if you think about what Jesus has done for us, that God came in human flesh to do everything possible to let us know of his great love, that Jesus is the exact imprint, the exact likeness of God. We are to know what God is like when we look at Jesus. Jesus is the very image of God. And you have to ask yourself, how could I possibly give thanks for that? How could, I, how could it ever be enough? As a boy, I would remember my mom singing this song. She would sing this uh, in the choir and for specials or the anthem. She would say, How can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. And the course goes like this. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory for the things he has done. With his blood, he has saved me. With his power, he has raised me. To God be the glory. And God alone, friends, for the things he has done. For you, for the world. And that includes all of us. 
all of us collectively and all of who we are, including our bodies. And I know this is a touchy subject with a lot of folks, but we need to talk about it because there's a lot of misinformation out there. So Paul writes, and we need to understand this is a part of the letter, that we are called to be faithful with our bodies. So in chapter 4, Paul writes this. He says, One final word, friends. We ask you, urge is more like it, that you keep on doing what we told you to do to please God. You know the guidelines we laid out for you from the Master Jesus. God wants you to live a pure life. A life of holiness, a life of goodness, a life of truth. And so Paul urges the new believers to please God and to live a pure life. A life worthy of our calling. A life worthy of our God, our good and wonderful God, who we know in Christ Jesus. And so Paul writes the way a healthy Christian lives out in faith. He says, keep yourselves from sexual promiscuity. Learn to appreciate and give dignity to your body, not abusing it, as is so common among those who know nothing of God. Don't run roughshod over the concerns of your brothers and sisters. Their concerns are God's concerns, and God will take care of them. You see, the thing that's really hard to get our minds around is that the Thessalonians lived in a hyper-sexualized culture. Uh, and, and you could say the same thing about our culture today. Uh, but, I, you know, it's so easy to kind of think that it, back in Bible times things were very different or they were a lot more holy or they were a lot better in terms of faith life. Not at all. Not at all. I want you to see um, where Thessalonica sits in the world. This is a map of what's known as the Ignatian Way. And over here is Istanbul, Turkey. Uh, I've been there. Chantel and I have been there. And it is a bustling city. It is a robust city with everything you might want to know or do. All of it, good and bad. And from there, all the way through Philippi, here's Thessalonica. This is a great port city. And so like many port cities around the world, even today, it had everything. And, you know, like New York City or like L.A. or like Houston. I mean, these port cities brought in people from all over the world. And this Ignatian Way went all the way from Turkey straight through Thessalonica all the way to Italy. From east to west, all the people of the world traveled through Thessalonica. And so if there was something you wanted to try, you could go to Thessalonica and find it. But here's the thing Paul wants us to know, and you need to know, that ultimately, you cannot do wrong by God and get away with it. You just can't. At the end of the day, the truth will be revealed. The truth about you. The truth about your life. And if you've been wrong, that will be brought to light. And if you've wronged others in the darkness, that will be brought to light as well. So it's important how you live. God will not be mocked. And so in four verses 4 through 6, Paul writes, Each one of you know how to control your own body. That's important. Control your own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one wrong or exploit a brother or sister. It's really important to God that we don't abuse one another. We don't take advantage of one another. No one wrong or exploit a brother or sister in this matter, meaning sexuality, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. Think about that. God is an avenger in all these things. And so oftentimes we'll talk about the wrath of God. And the wrath of God is widely misunderstood. The wrath of God is not anger or irritation, although the Bible will describe it that way often. 
If you look in the footnote um, or a word study on the wrath of God in your Bible, what you'll find is that it's about justice, that the, the wrongs have been righted. Those who were abused have been compensated and cared for and blessed, that everybody is now on equal footing, that justice has been served and the truth is known. So the wrath of God is justice and there's no hiding from it. At the end of our life in particular, it may not happen in this life, but certainly at the end of time, justice prevails, finally. And so we are to be people of love. We are to be people of faith. We are to be people of honor. And what Paul says is that we are to practice our sexuality, which is very important. It's a part of all of our lives within this greater ethic of agape love. A love that is selfless, a love that puts others first, a a love that serves, a love that washes feet before the, the meal of the Last Supper. That's what this love looks like. And so when it comes even into our sexual lives, we have to work within this love to do the best for others. And to know that these moments are holy and blessings and gifts of God and to be treated as such. But as is so true in many places in the world still today, in Thessalonica, sexuality was caught up in power. And there were great, great differentials in power. Yeah, sexuality was caught up in power. Men had power over women. Women had no rights whatsoever. Those who were free had power over slaves. There were still plenty of slaves in the world at that time. Those who visited prostitutes had power over prostitutes. Citizens had power over non-citizens and foreigners. And adults had power over every child of a lesser social standing. It was a dangerous time to be a child or a foreigner or a woman. Kyle Harper, who's a professor of classics and letters at the University of Oklahoma, uh, in his research says this. Roman culture had an almost unbelievable callous set of attitudes towards those without social honor. Slaves, prostitutes, the poor. Systematic exploitation was built into the social and moral order of the Roman world. The Roman order was constructed on the degradation of the bodies of non-persons, of what their society considered non-persons, subhuman. Friends, this is incredibly dark and abusive context. And it was a part of the worship of other religions at the time. We often don't think that there, about how many other religions there were and that they had their own temples, they had their own priests and priestess and prophets, and they did things that you, you just can't imagine. Um, all kinds of sexual license that you would not even want to read about, and certainly not with your kids. And so um, with, with all of this going on in Thessalonica, in this hotbed of everything the world had to offer, Um, Paul doesn't give us details about what constitutes sexual immorality when he forbids it. He just says, no promiscuity, no sexual immorality. And uh, Reverend Adam Hamilton um, does a whole study on this and, and what Paul teaches about this. And so while he doesn't describe exactly what he means by sexual immorality, he does say three things very clearly in this letter when it comes to our sexual lives. First, don't be controlled by your sexual urges. Right? He says, no, each one of you, you know how to control your own body. That's important. You're not to just do whatever you feel. Your hormones might be up one day and down the next. You can't live on feelings. We know that we are not our feelings. We feel our feelings, right? So you are the one who feels your feelings. You are not your feelings. So you get to choose whether you act on them or not. So each one of you know how to control your own body, Paul says. That's first. 
Secondly, then, we never exploit anyone sexually. We're not to exploit anyone any way ever, but especially sexually. We don't exploit anyone sexually. And so, again, in the letter, Paul writes, No one wrong or exploit a brother or sister in this matter. Never. You can never be a part of a differential in power when it comes to your sexual life. It's not right. You have to come together in love under God and bless one another. And thirdly, what Paul says around this matter, mind your own business. Really, that's what he says. In the NRSV, it says it like this, mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we directed you. Like, don't get in other people's business. Their business is their business. Your business is your business. You live with honor. You live with integrity. You make sure that you are doing the right thing for the right reasons before God. Bring glory to God. Live in a way that brings glory to God our Father. So Paul is saying that we are never to mistreat or take advantage of one another. And certainly not with our bodies. And in these days of the Me Too movement and sexual harassment claims, surely we should have learned by now that you can't force yourself on the powerless. Just because it's legal doesn't make it right. Will you say that with me? Just because it's legal doesn't make it right. And it's not legal um, in our country. But the thing is, there are people who can get away with things because they're people of power. And Paul says, no. God says, no. There will be justice before the end of time. You can't force yourself on the powerless just because it's legal doesn't make it right. So Paul's thought was revolutionary at the time. A lot of people attribute lots of things to Paul and they get upset with them about women's issues or this or that or the other. But friends, if you look at the context of Rome, of all the things that was going on in Thessalonica, Paul was revolutionary, bringing people hope, bringing some sort of structure and life uh, and sobriety to this conversation. Paul's thought was revolutionary at that time in a culture that showed no restraint. No restraint. If you were a person of power, you could do whatever you wanted. There wasn't anybody who could do anything about it. Things like sexual harassment, abusing children, and violent sex. While they happened in Thessalonica, they are all forbidden for people of faith. We're to have nothing to do with those sorts of things, Paul writes. We just, that's not who we are. That's not what God is about. That's not what the people of God are about. So Paul concludes uh, this section of the letter like this. He says, regarding life together in community and getting along with each other, super important to God and to Paul, you don't need me to tell you what to do. You're God taught in these matters. Just love one another. Oh my gosh, he sounds so much like a pastor. That's what I want to say. Like every day when I hear about a problem here, a problem there, I'm like, will you quit it? Just love one another. That's what God is all about. Just love one another. That's what Jesus said. Love one another. Oh my gosh. Paul says, just love one another. Exclamation point. You don't see a lot of exclamation points in the Bible. You see it here. You're already good at it. He's, he's lifting them up like you, you're doing good at this. Your friends all over the province of Macedonia, around the whole region, are the evidence. So he says, keep it up. Keep it up, friends. Better and better. Get better and better at this. Stay calm. Mind your own business. Do your own job. You've heard all this from us before, but a reminder never hurts. So there's your reminder. I hope it blesses you today. So our action steps. For this week. Uh, and this, this can be really, really tricky and, and difficult. Um, but I want to invite you to really take this seriously. Reflect on your relationships and ask God to show you if you are taking advantage of someone else, of another person who has less power than you do. 
And if, if somebody comes to mind, make it right. Repent. Turn your life around. Make that situation right. Don't do it again. If you're actively doing it, if you've done it in the past and there's a way to make it right without harming them, make it right. Make it right. And some people are just unaware. And, and maybe as you're doing internal work or you've gone to a counselor for the first time or maybe you're an AA or NA or SA or OA or whatever A you're in, you realize, oh my gosh, I didn't know how terrible I was to that person. I was their boss or I was their supervisor or I was so much older than they were and they weren't really able to be in the relationship I thought we were in. You need to make that right. You need, maybe you need to say I'm sorry and be free of your past and start anew and live a life worthy of the calling that God's placed on all of us. So the other action is exactly that. Live a life worthy of our calling as people of the light. The world needs the people of the light. Amen? Amen. So, as children of God, as people of light, let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, at this moment, I want you to hit like if you can and subscribe if you can. Because when you do that, it moves us up in the search engines and it blesses more people. So we hope you'll do that for us. We also hope that you'll let Pastor Brandon know that you're with us. Um, you know, after COVID, it's pretty hard to know who's with us and who's not with us. I do want to let you know uh, we're going to have more than 30 people join the church in just the next few weeks. It's so exciting to have all these guests and new members of our family and baptizing people and welcoming people into membership. It is a great joy.